Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Bill's lesson today is in Luke chapter 18, titled, Who Goes to Heaven? Part 1. Luke chapter 18, we're working our way through the book of Luke. And uh, we're down in verses 9 through 14 of chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, while you're finding a way over there, I want to th say thanks to those who are not in the in this room, that they're in the next room over there. There's almost as many people over there as there is in here. Today usually is our largest, in the next, this week and next week, the largest two Sundays we have, other than spring break, uh, that we have all year. Today, uh, 686 people. Well, I should say yesterday, last, last night service, and then we have two services today, 686. So in a, in a room with a seating capacity of 120, 150. <laughs> Uh, we, we push them over there, and then they're involved, and then, of course, we're online. Our ministry, some of you are involved with us online, and we're glad that you are, and uh, grateful to God for that. So, but want to thank those who are over there, but I would say, to, to their credit, they're sitting next to the coffee and whatever refreshments are over there, and you're stuck in here. So, I don't know how, I don't know how wise your decision was uh, to get here early. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, Jesus is in the midst of a constant dialogue or a constant conversation with those around him and he starts back in 17 remember there's no chapter breaks in the original writing of luke so don't pay attention to chapter 18 other than it just tells you where you are uh he's in the midst of conversation first of all talking about his second coming and the conditions of that second coming what the world's going to be like and the warnings of that and he proceeds straight into where we understand chapter 18 telling us how we should pray and never give up uh, being faithful, always with the end in view. How can I know how I'm going to plan today if I don't know where the trip? How do I know how to, to, to travel if I don't know where I'm ending? And so we always have to have the end in view constantly, always praying first, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right? Uh, and he proceeds straight from that into what's uh, an unasked question, but probably is the elephant in the room. So you're talking about your kingdom and the right, coming righteous kingdom of God. Who's going to be in that kingdom? Who's qualified? Who is it? And so Jesus rolls straight out of that into the answer to that question. Verse 9 is where we pick it up. He also told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves. Is that you? Is that you? In certain circumstances, that's okay. But as far as heaven is concerned and eternity is concerned, that's a bad thing. So you're going to make your deal with God? Is that your plan? It's a bad plan. Jesus is going to tell you that. Those who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous, and view others with contempt. Here's, here's the parable, the story. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax gatherer. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers and unjust. And by the way, no reason for us to think that he was these things. I, I don't think he's lying here. That's not the problem. I'm not as bad as most, or maybe all, everybody, still doesn't matter. Swindlers and unjust and adulterers, even this tax gatherer, remember that's the other guy who's in the temple. I fast twice a week and I pray, pay tithes of all that I get, but here's the tax gatherer, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God be merciful to me, the sinner. And then here's Jesus' commentary. Now, pay careful attention to what the Son of God says. This is the guy who owns heaven, who owns eternity. That's his property. He gives permission 
or retracts that permission, whomever he wants. He's telling you the rules. Don't think that somehow you're getting around the rules. Please don't think that. He's telling you the rules of eternity, everlasting life, and don't think that if you have a different set of rules that you're going to get to go there, because it's not going to happen. I tell you, Jesus says, this man, that is the one who said, be merciful to me, the sinner, went down to his house justified rather than the other for, mark it carefully, everyone who exalts himself, depend upon yourself for your own righteousness, I'm a good person, I'm earning my way to heaven. Everyone who does that, exalts himself, will be humbled, not just temporarily. You've been called on the carpet before, right? By your wives, gentlemen, right? It's embarrassing. She was right, though. That's the temporary thing. The humility that God's going to bring to you when you exalt yourself in this life is a permanent one. Whoever humble, exalts himself will be humbled permanently. He who humbles himself, though, will be exalted permanently. Pay careful attention to what the Son of God says. We're talking about his property, his place. Where are you from? We got a guy here from New York, the Long Island, right? That's a, from one island to the other. He only travels by islands, right? Is that right? <laughs> uh, got others from Minnesota and other crazy places you wouldn't want to be. Wisconsin, I met. And uh, right now, you wouldn't want to be in those places. Well, we had, and, I think, 103 minus 103 on Mount Washington in, in uh, Maine uh, this week. Right. It's, it's the opposite of hell, but it's the same as hell. <laughs> It's the same. <laughs> no, 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 no. All over the place. But so I travel to your town and I come out on your property and I just start telling you how I'm going to do things. How does that work? I tell you how it works in Texas. You're going to get a lever action or a shotgun or something. <laughs> you don't do that. Private property is a big deal. Private property is an important thing. I, my property that I paid for and I pay taxes on, I inherited from my grandparents, great grandparents, or whatever, and you're going to come on my property and tell me how I'm going to do stuff? You're going to have a problem with me. You're going to, likewise, by the way, God owns everything, not just heaven. You're going to come onto his property and tell him how he's going to do things? You're going to have a huge problem. Not, not any different than the way you would run things is the same way he runs heaven. And so when the Son of God tells you how it works, you better pay attention to him. He's speaking very plainly, and we need to hear him. And by the way, he tells this story which would have been contrary to the beliefs of the day. Part of our problem when we talk about parables and when Jesus has these conversations, he's having conversations with the people of that day, and not necessarily directly to us, even though they certainly apply. But, but part of the problem is, is that we don't understand how they thought, and they did not think like we did, especially in this story. You're going to think the opposite of these people, because they would have never, ever, to them, a Pharisee is a great person. I say Pharisee, that's a slam. That person's a Pharisee. You immediately know, oh, watch out. They killed the Son of God, right? In this culture, they did not think like that. We have a soft place in our hearts, by the way, for the tax gatherer, because often they're presented like this as a person who's repentive. Uh, you think of uh, the wee little man, Zacchaeus, up in the tree. He was a tax gatherer. He was forgiven that day. Matthew, one of the disciples, they were horrible people. But, but when they came in asking God for forgiveness, there's a soft place in our heart for them. We have no soft place in our heart for whatsoever for Pharisees. You never see them uh, doing anything but bad stuff. But you understand, the people of the day didn't think the way you do. They loved the Pharisees. Someday, hopefully, honey, our son can grow up and be a Pharisee. You would never think that today. You certainly would never think, well, we have the same opinion of tax gatherers today as they did back then. But, <laughs> but 
But we, again, the, the, the way they're classed in the scriptures, we, we have a tendency to think counter, counter to the way they did. This would have been counterintuitive for them, this, this whole story. It would have been, and not just counterintuitive, they wouldn't have just said, huh. They would have said, this is outrageous, this is scandalous. There's no place in their theology for the story that Jesus just told. That, that a self-proclaimed righteous person, like I said, no reason to think that, that he was not doing anything other than telling the truth, that he hadn't done these things. He wasn't like the swindlers and the, wasn't like this tax gatherer. He was a sinner, but he hadn't done these horrible things. There was no place in their theology that allowed that man to not go to heaven. Neither was there a place in their theology for the other man, the tax gatherer, to go to heaven. So this completely upends everything and turns it upside down. And so we have to, first of all, get it from where they hear it first. So the self-confessed wicked man left the temple justified and the other guy didn't? Unthinkable. Impossible, they would have thought. And Jesus commends the worst guy in the story because he repents? Yes, he does. Oh, boy, does he have their attention. He really does. Masterful absolute masterful storyteller. So why is he telling the parable? Again, because he's been in this process of talking about his second coming. In the process of the, talking about the kingdom and the inevitability of it and that it's coming on the earth and that you don't want to be on the wrong side of this. So how do we get on the right side of this? And so he asks a question before it's, or he answers the question before it's ever asked. Who will be in the kingdom? Who will be rejected? And of course the answer is a stunner. The, the man who thinks he's good and society says he's good is not going. And the guy who knows that he's bad and knows he has nothing to hope on except for the forgiveness and the kindness of God is going. I've said this many times, but I will say this. I think heaven's going to be a shock to a lot of us. Most of us. Maybe all of us. There are going to be people there that you would have never thought. Him? By the way, they, when they saw you coming, they said the same thing about you. <laughs> Him? Her? And there are going to be people not in heaven. They're going to be shocked about. Again, Jesus is dealing with a shocker here. They would have never imagined a Pharisee not being there, nor a task gatherer ever being there under any circumstances. Hear, hear me on this, and it, because in, in case, just in case you fall asleep for the rest of the sermon. Here's the clincher. I'm going to give it to you. The surest way to miss God's salvation and forgiveness, the surest way, is to think you don't need it. Hell's going to be filled with people like that. I don't need that. I don't got to do that. I'm fine. I know thousands of people, and I'm better than they are. And maybe you are. But you don't need God's forgiveness and grace? Hmm. Heaven is not an option for you. Heaven's not an option until you change. You pass out of this life like that, and it'll be ever, forever set in stone, forever. Again, those who humble themselves will be exalted forever. Those who exalt themselves in this life will be humbled forever. Hell's going to be a very humbling place. The Jews knew this. I mean, it wasn't like he's talking to a group that would have, should have known better. They have a Bible, just like we do, by the way, which we don't read very often or we don't believe very much, just like they did. They, they should have known how righteous works, that God is the righteous judge and that no one is allowed into his presence who isn't righteous. And, and then in comparison, the psalmist uh, reiterates this in many places elsewhere. Uh, and, and do not enter into judgment with your servant, the psalmist says, for no person living is righteous in your sight. Now mark it carefully. You who plan to make your righteousness the deal breaker or the deal maker when you get to heaven, God doesn't consider you to be righteous. Well, that's not very fair. Well, the fact that he lets you live right now isn't really fair. You're a sinner breaking his laws. It means you're in a rebellion against the king of the universe who owns everything. And yet you're going to come down here and tell us how it's going to work? 
It's amazing he's letting you live. But he is. So life isn't fair, and heaven won't be fair, because it's going to be filled with people who God makes righteous, not who are righteous, as in the case of our tax gatherer here. So, so they should have known. So, so no one's righteous, so how do you plan to go to heaven then? You plan to go to heaven? What's your plan? What's your plan? Can we agree that if your plan disagrees with God's plan, and since he owns heaven, that you ain't going? Because you're not. Definitely not. How do you get to heaven then? They should have known. They should have known their original ancestor. Why did God pick Abraham as the original Jew? And as the beginning of this line of the Jews, through whom Jesus, the Messiah, to the whole world, not just the Jews, would come. Why did he pick Abraham? Because Abraham was a great guy. Have you ever read the story of Abraham? So he sells his wife down the river because she's too pretty, he says. Remember the story? You need to read it. She's too pretty. He's scared that people will kill him so that he, she will be a widow. They'll be able to marry his wife. Now, that's pretty. That's good looking. By the way, she's like 90 years old. <laughs> that's what it says. I don't know. He was so scared, though, he made a deal with her. You call yourself my sister, and don't tell anybody that you're my wife. Now, of course, Abraham lived through that, but ladies, would you have killed him for that? <laughs> I think you would have. I think in Texas, at least, we would have quitted you for that. Yep, he, <laughs> he needed killing, and ma'am, you did every, that kind of person does not need to be staying on this planet. Needed to be shot for sure. That's Abraham. Abraham, but notice, they should have known how Abraham, so you got that kind of sinner, being made right with God. He's the father of all the Jews. Yeah, because why? He believed God. See, that's what it takes. It's not a matter of your sin, because already, you've already taken care of that. Your ticket to hell has already been bought. You punched it. You've done it many times. One sin guarantees you hell. And by the way, you can't fix that. I'm paying for my sins. No, you definitely aren't. You can't fix a single law that you've broken. There are eternal laws, and you've broken them, and they're broken. Here's, here's how I know you can't fix them, because God doesn't fix them. So you think you can fix them, but God can't. God doesn't. God just pays for them. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He pays for your sins. He doesn't fix these laws. These laws don't come back together. Once they're broken, broken. So either you pay for them by an eternity in hell because they're eternal laws against the eternal one. So you have an eternal punishment. That's why hell lasts forever. Or the eternal one who hung himself on the cross pays for those sins. Those are your options. Which would you have? We're talking about eternity here and the one who owns it. These are your options. This is all we have. There is not any other option. They should have known how Abraham was made right. He believed God about his sin he believed God about the future that God promised, and God, notice, credited it to him. That's all you got. If you're going to be righteous, it has to be credited because you've missed out on earning it because you're not perfect and you can't be, you can't make up for that. There's no way to back up. Credited to him as righteousness. They should have known that. You're the big guy of all the Jews. And how did he become righteous? Not because of what he did, as opposed to what he did. Because of God's willingness and grace and kindness and mercy to him. They should have known that there was one promised coming, the righteous one, right? Isaiah 53, this is in their Bible. Not that they don't, they're, they're holding this Bible as they're listening to Jesus. The righteous one, my servant, will justify the many because they can't justify themselves. For he will bear their wrongdoings because it's either he pays for them or they pay for them. That's the options. One is heaven, one is hell. They should have known that. 
But they didn't see it. They didn't see they had missed, by the time Jesus comes, they had missed the whole purpose of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, Passover, all these things. They had no concept whatsoever that the Messiah was coming to die to pay for their sins. They had all that in their scriptures. Old Testament is replete with that information. They had no, no sense of that whatsoever. And they had, by the time Jesus got in there, had decided, as the rest of the world had decided wrongfully, that you get to heaven and to God by being good. By the way, that is a way. But not good according to you. Not good according to me. Good according to God. And good according to God is perfect. So if you're not perfect or haven't been, well, that option is out the window. Your only other option is to have it imputed to you. Given, you have to be justified. You have to submit yourself to the only system that can bring justification to you. Or you're not going to heaven. You're not having, you cannot have eternal life. Again, this all belongs to God. God describes how it works and how it does not work. And it's not for you or me to make a deal with God along those lines. He doesn't make deals. So what must I do? Jesus is answering this question. To be right with God and have, them let, have him let me into his eternal kingdom. Well, Jesus answers this question with an incredibly simple story. Not convoluted at all. It's very simple. It's four or five lines. Uh, very straightforward. It's not convoluted. It's, it's a... Many theologies enter into this, some kind of massive discussion on religion, but Jesus, with profundity, clarity, simplicity, communicates this as a master storyteller. makes it very, very clear to us. And what he effectively does, and the way we can, can line out what's happening here, is every religion, whether it has a massive following, or whether it's your own self-styled version of what you decided how heaven's going to work and how eternity's going to work, every religion can be brought down to, to the same basis with a simple question. How does a person, according to that religion, have everlasting life. How is a person, your own self-styled religion, so you plan to stand before God someday, you will, and God says to you, what must, why would I let you into my heaven? What's your answer? That is your religion. Whatever it is, and here is the wrong one. Anything that says something to this effect, I've been good. That's the wrong religion. I've been a good person. I'm better than most. You're the same as this Pharisee. You're the same. He went un unforgiven. Unforgiven. If he didn't change his policies, he went for unforgiven for others. Either you can make yourself right with God or you can't. It's not a graded system. You know, I don't know what it was where you're from, but 70, I think, was passing for us. It's not like you make a 71, you're in. It's pass, fail. <laughs> pass, either you're 100% in or you are 100% out. You miss heaven by an inch or a mile, makes no difference. Your experience will be no different. Either you make yourself right with God or you can't. Either you achieve righteousness that satisfies God or you can't. And if you can't, what options do you have? Either you can make yourself acceptable or it has to be done for you. That's all you have. Either you can get to God by being good or you have to be good. Someone else has to be good for you. That's what Jesus did. Lived a righteous life. Died to pay for sins he never committed. That'd be yours. Offering to you his righteousness, taking your sin. Heck of a deal. Why wouldn't you take it? Many people don't. Either you're convinced that you can be good or at least is better than most and that God would never throw a person that good into hell. Or you're convinced that he would throw you into hell and you throw yourself on the mercy and grace of God. That's the only options. That's the only option. That's all this story is about. It's a simple division between every religion on the planet, 99% on one side and 1% on the other. And by the way, this religious train 
leaves the tracks way before. It wasn't just the Jews who had it wrong. It was off the rails way before this. In fact, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, right outside the gates, in fact, two brothers. The division of this thinking and religion was divided between these two brothers. You know them, Cain and Abel. They, they were divided over, over what they do in this instance here where they come and they've just gotten kicked out of the Garden of Eden and God has explained to them what worshiping Him and being right with Him is like. And so we now we're going to see how it happens in the process. And so here's the story. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Now, nothing wrong with that. We should, everything, part, everything we have is from God. And so bringing an offering to Him from everything we have, that's sure, there's nothing wrong with that unless that's not what He told you to do, which is going to be the problem. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock. Now, why would he do that as opposed to what Cain did? Well, it, we don't really understand until we read the rest of the story. He brought the first of the flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. Didn't Cain? Why? Because God plays favorites? Because Cain's eyes were too close together? Because he had a bald spot? Who's, you know, what was it? What was it? God doesn't play favorites. God deals with our responses to what he's said to us, yay or nay, obey or don't obey. And that's the conditions that we have here. God accepted Abel's, and we go on with more commentary from the scriptures about what Abel did and why it made such a difference between him and his brother Cain. By faith, notice, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Faith? So he didn't just come up with this. He's doing this sacrifice in response to something that he was told. And we know that because we know where faith comes from. Here's it tells us in Romans. So then faith comes by, yeah, you got to hear it, and then you got to do it. And hearing the Word of God. So I, I, don't, I can't believe stuff that I don't know, but when I hear it, then I'm responsible for the stuff that I know. So, so Abel heard, he didn't just come up with this whole, you know, I think I'll kill an animal, see what God thinks about it. That's not what he did. He killed an animal to pay to, so that the blood would take the place of his own sin. He didn't come up with this system. This was God's system. And he heard it from God, didn't he? He certainly did. Not only did he hear of it, guess who else? Cain did. And we know that from the explanation that God gives Cain as soon after this. So he's upset because he accepts Abel's offering, but he doesn't accept Cain's offering. Why? Because God's playing favorite? No. Because he had a clear understanding of what should happen, and he doesn't do it. Here's God's conversation with Cain. If you do well, will you not be accepted? So here's the right thing to do if you'll do that. But if you don't do the right thing, here it is. You don't do well, sin lies at the door. Of course, if you know the story, he certainly got captured uh, by sin. He had heard the same thing Abel had. His parents had heard the same thing. He just didn't want to do it. And so we have the demarcation, this delineation between two religions. One is a religion of God and of God's system. The other one is a religion of whatever we want to do with ourselves. So no, I think God needs to accept the stuff. That I've worked hard on this. I've raised stuff, and I'm going to present it to God, and God needs to accept me on my terms. Huge problem. Massive problem. People like that will fill hell. Because somehow they think that the property of heaven belongs to them, and they get to describe the deal that they get when they go there. That's a massive mistake. Cain was the first one to do it. He became the first to bring God the deal, his own deal, his own plan of salvation, instead of submitting to God's. 
Again, that's the story. This all the way through. Here we have 4,000 years later, Jesus basically selling the same story from a different direction. Two divisions of faith. Faith in something, you're going to have to put your faith in something for the future. So how do you plan to go to heaven? You're putting your faith in something. You're putting your faith, the one religion, here's Cain's religion, the religion of personal accomplishment. I've done a bunch of stuff. I've been a good person. I've done better than most. I had a decision to make and one was wrong and one was right and I made the right decision. And by the way, we're all happy for you. That doesn't do anything for heaven for you. Because it can't cover up. You can't make up for any sin that you've committed. You've broken eternal laws. You're in rebellion against God. You can't fix those laws. You can only pay for them. But this religion seeks no mercy, no grace, no forgiveness, no sympathy. I hope that's not you. I hope because that, that's the religion that takes you to hell. You put a name in front, it doesn't matter. Maybe it's your self-styled religion or all kinds of different names they have in the world. The vast majority of religions say the same thing. You've got to be a good person. Gotta be a good person. Nothing wrong with being a good person. It just does nothing for you in eternity. Does nothing for you in your destination of where you're headed. And the destination location matters. It really, really does. So, number one, religion is a religion of personal accomplishment. A no forgiveness, no grace, no sympathy. The second one, the way of Abel, is the way of obedience, submitting yourself to whatever God says. This is, I believe what God says, and I trust Him. It's the way of faith. It's the way, not just faith, but faith that, that ends in obedience. Obviously, Cain wouldn't obey, and Abel did. But it, it's a faith in what God has said. God says you're a sinner. Take it. God says you're not worthy of heaven. You're worthy of hell. Deal with it, please, for your own sake. Well, that's humiliating. Yeah, better to be humbled now. Humbled then. That's shameful. I, I, you know, I would hate to better you know, cry now. Better to cry now. Cry then. Better to kneel now or kneel then. Everybody's going to kneel. Won't matter. The religion of self, the divine accomplishment is the totally opposite of the personal accomplishment. Instead of you trusting what you have done for yourself, you're trusting what God did for you. That's where Jesus comes in. What has he done? Paid for your sins. Offering you his righteousness. Imputed. It's credited to you. It's reckoned to you. Because even Abraham couldn't do it. He's the father of all the Jews. Couldn't get it straight. Just like we know what's perfect. Where God provides your righteousness and where you seek his grace and mercy and forgiveness. And yes, is it humiliating? Certainly. But ultimately exalting forever. So we have the same division. The Pharisee, self-righteous, seeks no mercy, no forgiveness. Only talks about the great things he's done. Like I said, no reason to think he hasn't done these things. But totally glossing over the fact that nonetheless he's still a sinner. And he can't be made right with God if he's not perfect. And the task gatherer, who's this sinful outcast, standing far away as he possibly can, wanting nothing but mercy in God, distraught about what he knows is coming for him. And he leaves forgiven. Again, look at the end. What do you want? You want to go to heaven? Only one way there. Want to be forgiven? Only one way to do that. And that starts by you saying, God is right, and I am wrong. I repent of what I thought would save me. I repent of my own good deeds, as filthy rags, the scripture says, as far as God is concerned. So you have two men in this story, two postures, two religions, two prayers, two results. It's the only options you got. So here's how you know the difference. Those headed to hell plan to seek God's commendation. I'm going to be good. God loves me. He's going to let me into heaven. No, he won't. 
if that's all you're going on, what, what you've done. And the opposite, those headed to heaven who seek God's, know that they need God's forgiveness. Do you know that? Again, as I told you before, before you fell asleep, the surest way <laughs> to miss God's salvation and forgiveness is to think you don't need it. Absolutely positive, certain, guaranteed. And I ask if you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we think about what God has said to us today. Where do you fall? Two options. I'm going to be good enough. God should let me in. I've got stuff to present to him. I'm going to make my deal with him. Self-righteous. Everybody says I'm good. Still self-righteous. Because there's just one, just one, whose opinion matters, and that would be God's. And he says there's no one righteous, not even one. No one without sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You have to accept you have to accept God's uh, description of your circumstances. Because until you accept the bad news about you, it's impossible to accept the good news. Until I put my place, myself in the place of a sinner, knowing there's no remedy for me, only then do I accept God's remedy, God's cure, which is the sacrifice of His Son. It's already been done. Scripture tells us that Jesus was, in the mind of God, already sacrificed before he ever created even one of us. Before the foundations of the world, the sacrifice of his son was planned. Because he wants us. God loves us. He doesn't want us to get what our sins deserve. But he does give us a choice. What would you choose? Maybe you'd like to pray a prayer or something like this. Lord, I, just like this guy, have mercy on me, the sinner have mercy on me. Forgive me. I accept the righteousness that only comes through your son, Jesus. God, I thank you that you hear a prayer just like that. In fact, you have spanned heaven and earth and paid the ultimate price for us to be able to pray that prayer. Say those words. Have a heart change. Thank you, God, that you love us, that you excited over rescuing us, saving us, even though we're rebels and sinners and uh, not worthy of your attention in any way. Thank you, God, for being that God. And, and to that God, Lord, we trust ourselves. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.